I'm so glad that you're with us today. In particular, if you join us online, I'm glad for that. If you can get a sense of what God is doing in this place, as we will say, there was a lot of moving parts today, but we believe they're all being moved by the Spirit of God, as you see that involvement in marriages, our involvement out in the community, especially as kids go back to school and are engaged in these classrooms and these places where they need to hear Jesus. And we're also involved around the world. And so uh, many of you already know him and know his family well. Some of you are newer to Western Hills and you don't know him yet. So I'm going to take just a moment here and introduce our missionary that is with us from South Africa. So he wins the Farthest Traveled to Church Today Award, Denville Willie. Denville, if you would, I'm going to invite you to come up. I'm going to make sure everybody gets to know us. If you would, give him a welcome to Western Hills today. Hey, I love this man and, and so um, appreciate the partnership and the gospel. Next week, you're going to get to learn a lot about him and the ministry and the mission that God's doing around the world, both in worship and in an event in second hour. So I am teasing that up today. Come back, be a part of that, get to me more. But I did, I wanted to acknowledge that he was with us today. I'm going to pray over you and then we'll dive into God's word for us today. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Denville and his family. I thank you for the gospel that he proclaims all across Cape Town, through South Africa, into Namibia. Father, all the ways that you have the reach through him. Father, thank you for your servant, Denville. And I thank you for the, the inspiration that he is to me in so many ways to see him at work. Father, it's the name of Jesus that we pray. Together we say, amen. amen. Love you, brother. Love you, brother. Thank you. Thank you. I want to, in our time that we have left, I want to wrestle with a particular question. And here it is. How do you live a beautiful life? How do you live a beautiful life? Now, that may need a little unpacking just for a second. What's it mean to live a beautiful life? What, what are you referring to, Scott, when you say that? One of the things that I am uh, both blessed with and challenged with in the role is that I participate in lots of funerals. And funerals have a way of really clarifying what's important all of a sudden. I, I will remember... Forever, the day I was in college, I was very blessed in the fact that I did not lose somebody close to me until I was already in college. And I got the call that my grandmother had passed away. And I remember as I scrambled to make flight plans and travel plans and pack a bag and go be um, with the family, I remember thinking, either I believe what I believe it's true or it's not. Because the finality of it was just there. And then through the ministry, I've just been able to participate in so many different funerals. And we look at different lives and you reflect on the life. And i got to tell you, it's so telling. Sometimes we're reflecting on the life. And you can tell that either the person doing the funeral or 
when it falls to me, you're really scrambling for something to say. I've shared with you before, but one of the most telling times was in a funeral. And I wasn't doing this one, but I was in the audience. And I remember all that the minister could say. He, he did not have a relationship with the person that, that whose funeral it was. They had not been active in a, a body of belief in a, in a Christian community. And so the only thing he could just keep saying again and again was he held the record bass caught in Lake Leon. And that was the sum total of this man's life. And then there's others where that I've been an honor to be a part of that as we experience the, the funeral, we're celebrating what's clearly a beautiful life because of the way that they lived it. So I've thought about this, and, and maybe it helps if I break it down sort of four levels of life and, and the way that we live life. Now, you're not going to find these anywhere. These are strictly my observations. And so if you're looking for a deep, insightful source, it's me. So I don't know if this can go anywhere, but here's what I've observed as I've done funerals. The first one is what I would call the tolerable life. It's the life where you're just surviving, Maybe you've gone through a season that, but basically if you can get from one day to the next day, you're just surviving, you're enduring, you're just hanging on. Basically, if you can get fundamental needs met, you know, food, clothing, shelter, that's as much as it is. Now, nobody wants to live there, obviously. So the next one is where a lot of people, and I'm just going to call this the easy life. And people work towards this one because it's like, hey, if I can just have the easy life, the comfortable life, I don't want any rough edges. I, I, I want to be in luxury. I, I want to be pampered to. And this is where I find many, many people, decide, once they arrive in something that they define as the easy life, they're good. That, that, that's, that's all I'm ever trying to do. I would say one step above that, then, is the purposeful life. And this is where comfort is not your single goal, but there's some type of cause. There's some type of mission, some type of intent that you have with your life. And it may be of faith or it may be not of faith. You want to build a business. You want to journey around the world. You want to invest yourself in some cause that you're caught up in. It's a political movement that you want to be a part of. But you're not simply settling for the easy life. You're trying to have a purpose and a mission in life. And then the one that I would consider that's the deepest rooted would be what we're calling the beautiful life. And this living out of this beautiful life is something where you can live this life even in the midst of that which is ugly. And I, I would suggest that perhaps it's not easy to define it all the time, but it's one of those that when you see it, you know you're seeing it. It, it jumps out at you. It, it becomes very apparent 
It's, it's the, the acts of kindness and compassion. The acts of humanity and connection between one another. And, and against a dark world, that's what we're going to talk about. Against a dark world, a, a backdrop, suddenly something different emerges. Years ago, obviously, I didn't have this language then when I was a small child. But I saw it, and I never forgot it. Because I was with my mom, and we were walking into the mall. And if you don't know what a mall is, you can look it up on the internet. (laughs) But at all malls... There was always these double doors. You know, you go through one set, and there's this little kind of an airlock, I guess, and then you go through the next set. We were headed into Dillard's, I believe, there in North Richland Hills. And as we walked through that first set of doors, there was, there was a lady in there that clearly wasn't just passing through. She was stuck in some way. She, she was just there and, and definitely engaged in something and when we stepped in the door, a horrendous smell, you could tell. And as we're coming through, of course, I'm just a young child and trying to process it all. And you know, I'm having this reaction of, what's that smell? There's another group older than I am, probably high school, college age coming through, about three or four. And they are laughing and pointing at this lady. And they kind of do a, a, a walk by. And then they turn around and swing through the doors and they walk by again laughing and, and pointing. Now, I didn't know any of what was going on. But my mom went to engage in the person because what she realized, what I had no clue was that this woman had had a colostomy bag. And because this is years and years and years ago, the technology wasn't near the same, and it had ruptured. And that was the scent that we were smelling. And so in the midst with this other group going back and forth, making crude jokes, mom steps over there and begins to help her clean herself up. Again, I didn't have the words at that moment. But that was a beautiful moment, stepping in. Perhaps one that we collectively experienced together was this iconic photo. That's Brant Botham, I mean Brant Jean, whose brother Botham Jean was killed by police officer Amber Geiger, who's the lady in the picture. And during the, the, the witness statement at the end, the victim impact statement, Brant asked for the chance to hug Amber and forgive her. Now, we would expect to see all kinds of things in a courtroom. Anger, bitterness despise and yet we get a hug 
and there's something in us, there's something in you that whatever your politics are, whatever your position on that is, you realize this is at its core a beautiful moment. And there's an aesthetic there that you're drawn to. And so I want to talk about that beautiful life, this aesthetic, and this aesthetic comes from Jesus. This is the Jesus aesthetic. This is the way Jesus moved through life. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to open to Matthew chapter 5. It's the first book, the first document that we have in your New Testament. And for our students that have these journaling Bibles, which I'm so proud of that our youth ministry does that, you're going to find it on page 1236 in your student Bible. What, as you're finding that, what this part of Scripture is, this is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And it is a very well-read, very familiar part. What I want to tell you, what you have in chapters 5, 6, and 7, and we're only going to look at a few verses, but over this chapter, is you have a sermon that I'm going to sum up this way. This is Jesus teaching and preaching on how to live the beautiful life. If you want to dive deeper into this idea of a beautiful life, I'm going to encourage you to spend some time in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 this week. Because he begins with this idea of blessed are. And he runs through the traits of those. And it doesn't sound like the successful life, but it is the blessed life. It's the beautiful life. And he talks about those that are going to live this life out. And after he gets to those first verses, that opening statement of this sermon, which we typically refer to as the Beatitudes. Maybe you've heard it that way. He then changes gears right into this. And here's the words we have, and I'm going to pick it up from where we read before in verse 11. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Now, quick pause for the day. Jesus is standing on a hillside. Down the slope is what we know as the Sea of Galilee. And so he has this natural amphitheater and gathered into this natural amphitheater on the hills and the slope there is a group of Jewish peasants. And he's now telling these people that are in that struggle, that tolerable life, that life where they're living day to day. They don't have any power. They don't have any influence. They have few resources This is not a group that you look at and you go, you're going to change the world. I'm putting all my money on this team. They are listening to this rabbinical teacher give this message and he tells them, blessed are you that are meek. Blessed are you that are hungry and thirsty. And then he says, and you're going to be persecuted And people are going to insult you. And they're going to say evil things about you. This is who he's talking to. And he's about to, in the very next sentence, he's going to give them a label. He's going to give them a nickname. He goes on. Rejoice and be glad, 
Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. Two labels. Salt, now it says light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. To this ragtag, no-name group. He says, you're the salt of the earth. And you're the light of the world. And he identifies who they are. So, real quickly, when we talk about salt, some of the characteristics are simply this. Salt has two purposes. It's a little strange that we do salt, that he uses salt to us, because when we think of salt, we always think if you've got to cut down on salt. You know, we're trying to control our salt intake. Salt had a completely different role in the first century. In fact, salt was so valuable, it was often used as a salary to pay Roman soldiers could be paid in amounts of salt. If you heard the phrase, he's worth his salt, this is the idea of where it comes from. But it has two principal properties. The first one is that it enhances. Wherever salt shows up, it desires to enhance flavor. This is why you sell at a premium. You know, If you want to take something from average to a premium, you go, you add salt to it. This is why you pay more for salted caramel. Get the idea? It's clever marketing, right? There's something about salt that it adds something to it. Um, and, and if it's gone, you, you notice it, right? Who here likes Chick-fil-A waffle fries? Okay? okay? If your hand's not up, I'm not sure your theology's good. Ah. I love Chick-fil-A waffle fries. In fact, a little side note, my family always gives me a hard time about this. I didn't know it for the longest time, but do you know that you can order your fries well done? Where they come out hot and crispy? When I discovered that, it was like a game changer to me. But those same fries, if they come to me and they don't have any salt on them, they're bleh. Because the enhancement's gone. Jesus is saying you enhance the context that you're in. Second thing it does, and this was its primary job and why it was so expensive, is it preserves. Salt was the refrigeration of the day. Vegetables and meat would be wrapped in salt and salt water solutions to protect it. You couldn't throw it into your Yeti cooler, didn't put it into your zero fridge. You had to store it somehow, and salt was the answer for that. And so salt was vital, preserved, and it protected and protected from rot. And then he also comes along and says, you're the light 
in the darkness. I mean, you're the light in, of the world. So let me talk about what light does real quick. Light guides in the dark. If there's something that we need to do, if you're moving, or moving around your house at night and you don't want to stub your toe, you turn a light on, right? Because you know that you always run the risk of stubbing your toe or stepping on a Lego somehow. So light guides in the dark and, and it, it naturally just shines out that way. And not only does light illuminate your path, but it always takes light to reveal truth and beauty. Many of you know I love the hobby of photography. And one thing when you get involved in photography, you really learn what photography is. It's, it's the understanding and manipulation of light. And there's a, there's a, if you're really a nerd on this kind of stuff, like I am, what they do is they talk about capturing the Rembrandt light. If you look at a Rembrandt painting, one of his portraits, the lighting's always the same. And it's always incredible. And it's this offset light coming in at about 45 degrees. It's a soft light. It's not a harsh light. And so what the effort in photography do with all the digital capability we're doing is still trying to recreate what Rembrandt did with a paintbrush. That's to capture his light. Because that kind of light is so favoring. It brings out the beauty of something. Have you ever looked at a picture of yourself? And most of the time you look at your picture, you know, because it's just a quick snapshot. And you're like, oh, I don't look good in pictures. And then somebody that knows what they're doing and knows how to use the light takes your picture. And you're like, can I look like that all the time? Right? But you see it and you're like, okay, that's a good picture of me. And you're, you're your own harsh critic of your pictures. But you see this one? Because the light brings out the beauty that is you. And so Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Both salt and light exist in contrast to their environments. Contrast to their context. They stand out against the context. Obviously, if it's gone, you lose the idea of something is salt. It loses something. You notice it when it's not there. If we were to make this room completely dark, and I was to turn on just a single light. I loved what Rachel did a while ago with our turn on our phone lights. Suddenly, did you notice it really did light the room up? And you noticed the difference. But if just one, if this room was completely dark and only one cell phone light came on, you would see it. Because it jumps out in contrast to the dark. This is the beautiful light that Jesus is talking about. So I want to give you three quick takeaways to encourage you as we go into this school year to be the salt and the light. First is this. Salt and light are, are not something you do. It is who you are in Christ. Jesus didn't say go out and act like the salt and light. Go be salty. He said you are the salt and light. For all of those that follow Jesus, the Spirit of God is at work in you. And so your presence then is not some activity that you turn on and turn off. It is you stepping into the world allowing the God that is alive in you, His Spirit, to come forth and be a presence in the world. 
It's not what you do, it's who you are. So you don't put on your schedule at 3.30 on Thursday afternoon, I'm going to be salt and light. And then that night is Netflix, okay? It's not a switch. It's who you are. Whatever context, in the context of your family, in the context of your work, in the context of your classroom, your sports team, in the context of when you're out in the public, when you walk through the double doors of a mall, when you find yourself in a courtroom, you're the salt and the light. If you're the salt, second takeaway is this. Your presence is the preservative that prevents rotten decay. That's what salt did. Jesus is saying salt prevents decay wherever it's applied. It slows down rot. The world is a difficult and ugly place. I'm not saying it's not, but here's a real thought for you to get your mind around is that Wherever God has you, in whatever context He has you in, just maybe you're the preservative that's keeping that particular context from just sliding into total rotten moral decay. Your sports team. When everybody else wants to make the crude joke, you're not. When everybody else wants to be mean in a moment, you're not. At your workplace, when everybody else wants to cut corners that are definitely immoral, perhaps even illegal, and because it's the easier way, and by the way, everybody's doing it, you're not. And your presence in that system, your presence in that context, is preventing the whole thing from just sliding into rot and decay. Perhaps you're the preservative in your family. And you got a messy family. And it's rough and it's difficult. But God's using you as salt there. Preserving something there. He finishes... Matthew chapter 5, or this section of Matthew chapter 5, with this. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, when we live a beautiful life, it makes a difference. But the ultimate difference that it makes is that people come to see God clearly. Not some false representation of Him, but they see Him clearly. They see Jesus at work, and even if they can't put their words around it at first, there's something about them that draws them in. Again, when we see the beautiful life, those beautiful moments, we're drawn to them, aren't we? There's something about them. And what that does is not praise for you, praise for me, but praise for the one that we serve and that response is that they glorify and they worship the Heavenly Father. So the last takeaway is this. Your life reveals the beauty of Christ. 
how you live your life as salt, as light, it reveals the beauty of Christ to the world that is starving for it, that is malnourished without it, that's spinning around in the dark with it. And the temptation is to think that we can shut that off, isn't it, at times? That we can stop being that person. Because what really kind of surprises me at times, because I've thought this way, and perhaps you've thought this way too, and I'm ashamed to admit it, but I, I've been in situations where I thought they don't deserve it. Can you imagine a candle looking at the dark, saying, that's eh, too dark, it doesn't deserve the light? No, because that's not the properties of a candle. It just shines and it reveals and even though it's a dark world we're called jesus didn't say to this group in front of him, this ragtag group he says you're the salt and the light in the places where you should be the salt and light everybody else you get a pass on everybody else you can just dismiss We're called to be the salt and light to all of those around us, even the ones that disagree with us. Even the ones that wouldn't worship God like we would. Even the ones that are going to vote different than us. We're the salt and the light. I like this quote from Richard Beck. He writes on this idea... Some things in the world, big global things and small things I notice during the day, I find beautiful. Other things I find ugly. And more, I try to live in a beautiful way. In a way that has artistic integrity. And behind all these judgments is an aesthetic that is distinctly Christian. Seeking the beauty. Seeking the beauty. Shining light on the beauty. In the dark, dark world. When I was at Southern Hills, just right out of college, uh, church in Abilene, uh, we had a gentleman that started coming to church. The gentleman's name was Leslie. And Leslie very much stood out at church because Leslie had a full beard, I mean burly man beard, and he always came in a black dress and pearls. And this was the 90s. And so you can imagine the first day that Leslie showed up. Everybody kind of snapped to attention. We had deacons on duty suddenly every, everywhere. Leslie was welcomed in. And he worshipped with us. And every time he would get on his bicycle, and he had a three-wheel bicycle... And he would spend his week riding around Abilene, homeless. And then he would show back at church next week. At some point, he was such an a, a iconic person around town that the local newspaper did an article on Leslie. Well, unfortunately, and Leslie in the paper said, I found... 
people that are kind here in Abilene. And he named two churches. He named Southern Hills as part of it and the church that he would also go to and attend. Well, this article, unfortunately, put him in a spotlight. And so the week after this article came out, some guys spotted him, knew who he was, and they assaulted him. They beat him up, put him in the hospital, and destroyed his bike. Some of the elders that I was proud to serve under at Southern Hills, they went to the hospital. And they prayed with and prayed for Leslie. Not because he was our greatest upstanding uh, member. Not because he put the biggest check in the plate. Not because we agreed with everything that he was doing. Because that's what light does. It goes and it shines. And they prayed with him. And one of them that was also an avid biker saw to it that his bike was repaired or replaced. Wrote the check himself. And that's just one of those moments that when you see it, you know, it's beautiful. And so Jesus ends this sermon. When you jump all the way over to chapter 7. With whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be blessed. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, may we live the beauty of Christ, the beautiful life, every day. Father, in a thousand ways, some that we see coming, some that just surprise and show up right in front of us, may we respond like Christ. May we be the salt and the light. Father, even when persecution is promised, may we still be who we are because that's who we are in you. Father, I can only begin to imagine the power that you can spread across this community as you work in the life of each of these students in their classrooms. As your salt and light spreads through these teachers and these administrators. For those that go into a shop during the day or into a business or into an office or make a sales route, Father, as they deliver mail, as they deliver groceries, Father, whatever it would be, wherever we find ourselves, would be salt and life. Father, help us to live the beautiful life. And may others not praise us, but praise you because of it. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.